0: Asia Tech Podcast,
1: Podcast.
0: voice of the Asian tech ecosystem.
1: We are live. This is Asia Tech Podcast on a Tuesday evening. Asia Matters, Graham Brown in the Asia Tech Podcast studio, joined by Daniel Daniel Hanley.
0: Welcome. Thank you, Graham.
1: And Priyanka Nadkani. Hi. Welcome. Thanks for having us. Well, thanks for coming. We're going to talk about why Asia matters tonight. We're going to talk about the top stories of the hour, in news anchor terms. Um, What's going on in Asia? A lot crosses our feed in the LinkedIn world We'll help the listeners and viewers unpack some of that. What are the big stories this week? Uh, The format is is that we introduce the stories and just open up if people want to ask questions or talk away, chat away about why they think it's important. Um, I am just the facilitator this evening as opposed to the interviewer. So please pitch in with your questions and answers. Anybody watching along at home, feel free to flame us or add in comments, constructive criticism. If they're watching on the archive, feel free to hit that like button in the face, subscribe to our channel, add your commentary, and we'll put all the details of our guests tonight in the show notes. So if you want to connect with them, reach out to them. Or if they say something contentious, then you know where to take your beef. So let's kick off. Let's talk about why Asia matters tonight. Let's talk about the top story of the hour. If we can jump in, we're going to throw up on the video. If you're watching on YouTube, um, you'll see the video as we talk along. If you're listening on audio, let me just describe what the top news stories are. We've got to start talking about the man himself, Jack Ma. So let's open up this TechCrunch article. So there's a lot of talk this month about Jack Ma retiring. Is he, isn't he? What's going on? Priyanka, this was your story.
2: Yes. Tell us
1: what's going on. Would you believe, is he retiring? (laughs)
2: So this one was an interesting one. It came up by a former colleague of mine on his LinkedIn news feed. So um, it's Gary Cien. And um, he saw the New York Times article, which was released on a Friday, which is Friday that. September the 7th, I think, mm. um, and obviously shared it along with all the majors and shared it around the world. Um, and it said Jack Ma-, Ma to retire, which, um, you know, uh, does something to most people, including, I think it was more than 2% of their $420 billion, you know, market cap. Mm. Um, and it took till the next day on the Saturday for, for Jack Ma to actually get on to, Um, South China Morning Post, which I think they own, Mm. um, to, you know, sort of say, no, 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 (laughs) I'm going to release news on Monday, um, but I'm not retiring. And, and, and it so happened that he wasn't retiring. Um, well, so to speak, he's just putting a succession plan into place. Um, and that the current CEO will move into the chairman role and, um, And he will continue on the board for another decade. And he wants to, um, to, to focus on, um, philanthropy and in particular education. So there was two interesting pieces for me on this. Um, the first being fake news and, and how do you curb that as an organization? And certainly, you know. He owns a newspaper, but what else could have been mm. done to go quicker than than a day afterwards to, to dispel some news? Mm. Um, obviously, the stock price has gone back up, but mm. uh, but you know, in the moment, um, and then the second is obviously he's 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 um, he's he's moving on to do bigger and better things. Better things.
1: I like that though. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely. Mean, Bill Gates obviously has sort of blazed a trail in the way. I think it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, like you know, you talk about. I mean, everybody. Like, I guess when they talk about iconic CEOs, we always sort of led to believe Steve Jobs was like the pinnacle of that. And Bill Gates, you know, he when he retired, he set up the foundation and he gave away half his wealth. And it wasn't just, you know, a few billion, it's like 40 billion dollars. Right. And um, he just doesn't get half the the publicity or the niceties mm. that Steve Jobs does. But, you know, and now Jack Ma's doing this. I wonder what will become of it. Whether or not, I mean, you know, what kind of compels somebody to do something like that? It's like, I mean, they must—do they get bored, or do they are they onto bigger things, or what, what's sort of in their mind? Why do they think I'm going to go and you know commit myself to philanthropy? Surely you could do a lot as the CEO of Alibaba.
0: I mean, to be honest, he's not got that much left to prove, right? So when you look at the the, the figures um, if, of Alibaba, I mean. I think they took on their their Singles Day last year. Yeah. This year actually. They mm. they took around 25 billion dollars in a, a day. day. Yeah. 60,000 I mean, transactions It's uh, just transactions incredible a second, right? And, and and when you compare that for example to, you know, Black Friday um and Cyber Monday combined, the total sales for those two events was around 7 billion. Yeah. So this is this is a monster company that he's built and and do you think he's just got bored because yeah, he's the challenges run out? So I I love his vision because if if you look at what he said in 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 uh, you know when he actually announced it, he he spent the last sort of 10 years building a team that's capable of actually taking over. Mm. So he's been building leaders, he's been, you know, investing in, in in his team. And when you look at the the big CEOs, like you mentioned, Steve Jobs. Bill Gates. You know, one of the things that you see with all of them is that they they are trying to hire the best talents, and they always tell you that that it's about getting the best people on board. Um, and and for ten years he's been building that, and he's he's sort of taken the company to a point where he's gone and said, "It's over to you guys now. Like yeah. I, I've done my bit, and and you know you need to sort of." Do you think he has done his bit? Do you think it's sort
1: of you know he could do more because. Or is it just that you get bored? You've built the, one of the biggest companies in the world. What do you do now? Do you c- continue building it? I mean, if you were Jeff Bezos, you might go and build a rocket ship and fly to Mars or whatever it is he's trying to do. But you know, what, what is the challenge that possesses people like that? In the next stage.
2: I'll, I'll let you know when I get I was to just that about stage. To say, yeah, okay. give us a couple of years. <laughs> there you go. All right. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> give you a chance to catch up.
2: But um, yeah. No, I think um, you know, he was a teacher to to yeah. begin with. So that's what he's going back to in education and, and, um, that's lovely. And I've read a, obviously a, a lot about him and he seems like a, a really genuine, um, um, person. And so I think one of his, he's, he's one of the, fav- my favorite quotes from this, this news story feed is, has been him saying, you know, I don't want to. Die in the office. I want to die on the beach. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, yeah. So he's he's obviously got a got got. He's you thinking know, ahead. He's thinking. Yeah. Have you
1: sort of have you? Do you know much about him in his former years? Because I know there's a few stories that come out, and you talk about him being a teacher as an example. There's sort of some odd stories that pop up from time to time. Like I heard when he went to the states, and he was sitting in Starbucks somewhere, wherever it was in the west coast, and he was sort of thinking of like, what should I call this um, company? And he was sort of drinking a coffee and he said to the waitress he pulled her over and he goes oh do you know alibaba and she said yes open sesame and he went exactly like that and that was sort of that was his sort of rationale for picking the story but it sort of seems quite an oddball type story about but it sort of gives an insight into him and how he thinks right he's not sort of like a big technological visionary he's just worried about whether people would understand what he's trying to do it's sort of that teacher mindset as well if you like and there's some other odd ones where he met. Who was it that came to to the Great Wall of China when he was a guide? Where's that story? So maybe somebody can dig that one out. Some, I think it might have been one of the. It's either like one of the founders of Twitter or Jerry Yang from Yahoo, for example, came. Somebody can correct me on this. He came to China and showed um, this guy around, and it was Jack Ma as a guide at the time when he was nothing. You know, he wasn't even like starting Alibaba, for example. There's some interesting backstories to him.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I I, I don't know too much. I don't know. What no, I know. I don't have the stories. I mean, I know
0: obviously he he had some stint teaching, uh, which is is kind of interesting to go from you know a teaching role to growing one of the biggest uh, e commerce companies in the world. But the thing that gets me about Alibaba is you know I I probably come across it maybe ten years ago. Um, when it was, it still, it, it, it was known at that time as a sort of, you know, online, almost a poor man's Amazon, right? With we, mm. sort of, there was a, 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 an idea that the goods were sort of a lower quality and and, and where you see it is today, um, you have, you know, all the international brands, like all the, all, the, all the Western brands really becoming involved in that platform because they know how important it is to, to the Chinese market, and I mean, the Chinese market, you've got a sort of growing middle class, right? So you've got mm-hmm. a, a target around what, 500 million middle class consumers, and, and and it's huge. So so he, he's kind of grown that. And, and I mean, I was in China recently, and what amazes me, and I think people from outside of maybe th- this region, they don't really appreciate Alipay, for example. Yeah. Like Alipay, in the region of 400 million users, I mean, nobody in China is using cash. Mm. Where, wherever you go, it, it's Alipay everywhere. Mm. Um, and I just think that there's so many things that he's done and that company has done to sort of shape, mm. uh, you know, the e-commerce and also you know moving into fintech and, and, and in in China. It's it's amazing. Did you get so, to see
1: any of the Hema stores there, the Alibaba stores? The
0: I didn't see them, retail. but I've, I've I've heard about them. And yeah. it's like again, you know, it's uh, we we see a similar thing now. Obviously, Amazon and and. Mm. Um, it's uh, it's just a huge success story. And, and I think it's going to- uh,
1: well, What do you see? think he's done for Asian entrepreneurs? Because think about it, who are the well-known Asian entrepreneurs globally? And he is really the only one that we know, especially sort of from East Asia or from China. I mean, people obviously recognize, he's got that sort of, he's that funny faced guy that appears at Davos, you know, at the World Economic Forum. And there he is speaking to Donald Trump, right? So he's got a recognisable face, and he can speak pretty good English as well. There are not many people out there. I mean, if you think about the second biggest company in in that space, Tencent, Pony Ma. Does anybody know what Pony Ma looks like? Could you recognise unless you know that space? I mean, yeah. there's nobody close to that. You know, from Asia, who do we have? I mean, there's a lot of Indian entrepreneurs that are, are w- well known within India, right? And then maybe from this area, you've got like Tony Fernandez from AirAsia. Sure. Right? Yeah. yeah. But who else is there out there? you know, soft bank guy, that's it. But nobody would recognize him, right? So he's probably the most visible guy, you know, in the world, in that space. And that's probably done a lot, hasn't it? Because now, if you're an entrepreneur in Asia, you have somebody that kind of looks like you, right? And you think, okay, that's now possible that I could
0: do that. I mean, he's on the world stage. Like you say, he he, he is there. It's almost like a a state visit when he visits, you know, prime ministers and, and heads of state, he gets treated... Uh, on that level, and I think what he's done is, is he's given a sort of a voice, right, to yeah. to the rest of the world uh, in terms of China being able to to compete in in, in that space on a, on a global level, so, and in non threatening way as well. Absolutely, and, and the thing I like about him, uh, his interviews, he's actually pretty straight talker. Yeah, mm-hmm. like he, he's you know, and and he accepts criticism pretty well. He deals with it quite well, and he he just gives his opinion. And he doesn't get involved in too much of the Politics. trash talk. Oh, um, okay. Right? He, he, he just sort of lets it go over him and, and it says his piece. And, you know. Yeah.
1: I so, like that. I think he's probably the most, if, if China had to have a PR strategy, he would be it. You know, he's the most successful PR strategy for them. He's sort of very soft power, you know, for yeah. China, right? You know, he's, he's a very positive face for them. Yeah. So that's the story of Jack Ma. Let's move on. Let's talk about the second story. We are now switching gears here. We're going to Jakarta. We're going to talk about Gojek. So uh, Daniel, I know you know Jakarta quite well. Can you talk a little bit about Gojek first? Because it's not well known to the people outside of Asia. What's going on? What is Gojek?
0: So, I mean, this is the other interesting thing, right? So Gojek, uh, and you talk about uh, well-known, you know, business uh, guys from, from Asia. And Gojek, I think, is Indonesia's first and only unicorn. Hmm. And uh, I mean, it comes from the Indonesian ojek, right? So ojek is your your motor motorbike taxi, and um, Gojek is basically a, a ride hailing app. It started out where you, instead of jumping on uh, uh, an ojek on the street corner, uh, you're able to actually book your taxi. And in Jakarta, because of the traffic, it, it's it's just crazy, right? So. Um, the the ability to able to just book something, to turn up and jump on and have a fixed fare—it just really took the, the the hassle and the pain out of the mm. uh, the journey. So it, it started off as a ride hailing, and then uh, Gojek—they they started to bring in more services, more features. So you had uh, GoSend, which is a courier service. You had GoFood. You had different apps, and it and it, it it's kind of evolved. So. Um, I lived in Jakarta for uh, a little bit. So my wife is Indonesian. And um, I mean, when we go to Jakarta, she literally lives on Gojek. Right. I mean, if, if, if she wants a coffee, she orders it on Gojek. If she... if, if Well, they, if, bring if, the they bring the coffee. They bring the coffee, right? Because you can't go... Do they bring it in one of those bags?
1: Yeah, they bring it in the bag.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it in the, so it's such a
1: Southeast Asian thing with a straw you, in you it.
0: Can't, you can't... <laughs> it's going to take you like an hour to go yeah. and get the coffee, right? Because the traffic's so bad. But if, if you want... You know, if I need something for my son from the pharmacy... It's Gojek. We got Gojek. If I need to send documents across town, it's Gojek. They have GoClean. They send cleaners to your house. So it's just, it's evolved into this sort of lifestyle app. And and again, they're they're adding more and more. So they're uh, they're bringing in, um, you know, uh, different features. Again, one of the really cool features they have now is the GoPay, right? So again, in Indonesia, you've got sort of 60% of the population being unbanked. Mm. Right. So, the, uh, from a fintech perspective, the ability for them to be able to use their phone to pay for services and eventually get loans and things like that is—it's it's really becoming a, a, a lifestyle app, and it's—it's it's kind of really important now, part of the ecosystem in Indonesia. So, um, the, but the interesting thing this week was that it looks like they have just um, raised another two billion dollars. Yeah,
1: it's incredible.
0: I mean, it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's amazing, um, and and they're looking to really accelerate. Their expansion into into the rest of what Asia. What would that
1: buy them? I mean, two billion. I mean, I know they, they've got backers, including Ten Cent in Temasek here in Singapore. So I mean, you've got some of the best investors in Asia there. But what were two billion? What really do you spend like? two billion on? This is the thing. <laughs> well, so this, I mean, yeah, they're exactly. going after acquisitions, right? right. So
0: they're, they're 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 making acquisitions as they go. They're looking at the Vietnam market, right? So there's 100 million people in Vietnam, and Vietnam motorbikes. It's yeah. you know similar sort right. of things. So they're starting off. Uh, I think. Do
1: they only do motorbikes? They don't have cars. I mean, like, are they there with they, Grab? They, Grab there, there. Yeah.
0: So they, they 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 have cars now, um, and right. they. Um, yeah, so they're they're sort of moving into into that space as well. I think I think what you're seeing now is is all out war, right? right. Grab and, and Gojek um, because they're they're interesting.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I think Vietnam's already been sort of if not started. I think they launched their app.
1: Yeah, Go GoViet. Go Viet. Yeah.
2: Um, uh, it's a really interesting. Um, there, there's two pieces to this for me. One is the competition, and I just genuinely think that that's When, with the players that we do have in Southeast Asia Mm. at the moment being Uber's gone. So, um, so we've got grab, uh, (laughs) um, and the local taxi market in most, in, in most, in most of these countries. So I, so I certainly think that's a, that's a great opportunity from a competition perspective, Mm. um, um, and hence why they've got the backing. Um, but what you mentioned also before around the ecosystem play, Mm. um, that's going to be an interesting one and a challenge, like I, I'd like to see how that plays out in, in, in other markets. Cause mm. obviously they know the Indonesian market incredibly well. Um, and so that's an easy plug and play sort of situation. And it reminds me of, you know, WeChat and what that has mm. turned into, but that's taken a, you know, so how do you scale that up fast in the markets? Mm. Um, yeah, even the, though it hasn't in, translated yeah. to like
1: payments outside of China, it's a yeah. bit tough, isn't it? WeChat, but not WePay in, in other yeah. markets. right? Yeah.
2: Um, so, so I think, I mean, obviously with $2 billion, I'm sure you'll put your investments in the right spot and and figure out how to do it. But I, the other interesting play for me, and it's purely from a branding perspective is they're actually going out and being even more localized than Grab. Yeah. Um, and Grab, I, my personal belief is Grab won the market because they were a local solution to Uber,
1: Hmm. for example. In what way? Because there's a lot of discourse about that. What do you think that Grab did that Uber, I mean, there's been talk, for example, that they allowed. Their drivers on a Friday to go to prayer, for example, because a lot of the drivers yep. are Muslim, for example. Yep. There's small things like that, but wh- it seems like a bit anecdotal. But wh- what do you think they actually did right there?
2: See, I have a marketing background, so I can see mm. that as a branding to start with. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I can see how they were branded local. They communicated local. They, they, you know, um, so, so they did that in a in mm. a very um, purposeful way. Mm. Um, we're not the big international player where the, 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 um, the, the brand for you Mm. here, um, that's worked for, for, for for them (laughs) Mm. obviously. Um, but, um, but you know, Gojek's plans have have almost like they've got Gojek and then they've got Goviet and they've got, they're almost going even more local. I mean, I was, I was jokingly saying, you know, what's going to, what's going to be the Singapore version of that, you know? Mm. Go sing or go right. la <laughs> what, yeah, so, what is what is it what is it what is it what is that going to look like? Because
1: yeah. um, there's been there's been a few ride hailing apps coming into Singapore after the, the the Uber exit. I mean, there's been a few which are trying to be like more localized, but I think their problem is is they don't have the resources, do they? Yep. So you wouldn't book it because they don't have enough taxis on board. It's sort of like the two sided model. You need to throw a lot of money at it to make it work and stick, right? And that's the problem. But maybe these guys could do it
0: here in Singapore, what do you think it's yeah. saturated? So, so not, I mean, for me, the interesting thing, and what I like about the way Gojek approached this is that when they started out, they're actually solving a real world issue, mm. right? Which is the traffic issue in Jakarta. Yeah. And, and that was the focus. And I think that's the, the difference between um, Gojek and, and Grab is that Grab obviously coming from Singapore doesn't have that same challenge. It was literally a competition to, 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 to Uber. And, and then I think the reason they added all the, the services on is because they needed to keep the drivers busy during the day. So they started mm-hmm. adding all these other services on top and eventually you've got the, the kind of network effect. And, and uh, again, you know, people from outside of, of Asia or people that haven't been to Indonesia, they don't realize how integral now Gojek has become as part of the ecosystem. So I think if they can focus in the same way in some of these markets where you have similar challenges... Which would be, you know, Hanoi, yeah. um, Ho Chi Minh, Manila, uh, Bangkok. Then I can see them actually doing doing well. Um, and and but again, I mean, Grabber there now as well with, with with the Grab Bike. So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. And um, but it, but I see this. I mean, this the, these two ha- have a, a, you know huge potential. Mm, uh, yeah. Moving forward, because it, it's becoming, it is a lifestyle app now. It, it, it's much more than sort of ride hailing. I mean, you, 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 as I said, you can literally live on on from with with Gojek. Yeah. Uh, live what off do it. you
1: think about? I mean, in terms of the the comparison between Gojek and Grab? I mean, I've got some numbers here, just as an example. I mean, Grab is obviously, if you live here in Singapore or if you're in Malaysia, it's, it's extremely familiar, right? And you probably spend a lot of money. On Grab because it's so easy, right? <laughs> Too <laughs> I mean, much I Grab bill every month. <laughs> yeah. It's like horrific, right? I mean, how yeah. did that ever happen? And then you sort of let your, your kids on Grab as well, and then it's like, okay, there you go. But now, now we sort of like, I mean, there's some interesting data here about comparing Grab and Gojek. Just the numbers here, a little bit out of date, but you get the the gist here. In terms of drivers itself, Gojek two hundred fifty thousand versus Grab one hundred thousand. That was in two thousand seventeen. So I mean, Gojek has significantly more. I mean, obviously it's easier because they're motorbikes most of those, right? And Jakarta but, as well is yeah. huge. By and, and, and and
0: and I think there were obviously Jakarta the population. Uh, and and I think when they actually launched, they they literally had stadiums and they invited the the drivers to come to the stadium and they 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 did it on mass mm. and they really went hard, um, and and tried to scale quickly. So. Right.
1: What uh, were they doing there? Just, it was just like a big recruitment drive. A
0: big recruitment drive <laughs> yeah, in a stadium.
2: But, you know, um, w- what we're looking at this, and maybe we just need to also think about it differently, and what mm. you said, you pick the right markets. Because we, we as a region um, <laughs> have, I don't know, what is it? How, how many in Southeast Asia how many countries in Southeast Asia all with different populations mm. and different different needs and different we're just challenges, ch- yeah. different yeah. challenges. So if we go back to what you're saying, pick the right markets, the ones in which that um, play to the strength of of the the actual motorbikes and the traffic mm. I think that will be uh, I, I can see them struggling in Singapore
0: mm, but um, sure. but yeah in I in agree.
2: Thailand um in 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 those other bike, heavily populated right? because yeah, heavily the, the other thing that's yeah. interesting
0: about these guys is that they they have a, a, a business intelligence play here right because they're capturing so much data about who's going from where to where right. who's, which which stores are being uh, you know they're, they're buying stuff from so they're, they're collecting all this data in the background which they're obviously using to, to yeah. focus the product and do you think that's actually
1: um, key to their development long term because we've gone back if we sort of jump back to Alibaba where we started off today one of the things that I find that if you come from outside of Asia and you think about these brands like Alibaba, and now we're talking about these brands like Gojek and Grab, for example, they're gathering billions of data sets about their consumers, right? And in the West, quote unquote, now if you do that, you know, at some point you get into trouble. And we've seen this with Facebook, for example, you know, at some point, that comes up and bites you, right? Where here in Asia, it's almost like that's then used as a competitive advantage. I mean, for example, if you talk about Alibaba, you know, in terms of the data sets it's gathering about what you're buying, where you're going, like who you're interacting with and everything, because it's got all these Mm. kind of different touch points with you, you're walking into a retail store, you're buying something with Alipay and so on. Now, whether or not it's ethical, that then drives their ability to evolve the service and then they can compete with Amazon, right? Because Amazon probably can't get away with the kind of things that an Alibaba can get away with in terms of the gathering of data. Maybe Amazon only can dream about what they do with the data, right? But at the end of the day, that helps them create a better service. And that means they'll be more competitive on the global stage. So you can look at Gojek and Grab, for example, maybe they can do that. And that means they could then be more competitive and better than Uber. Because Uber can't get away with the kind of things it can get away with. Yeah.
2: I'm, I'm, I, my view on this though, is that I don't think even in the, um, uh, in the Western, um, uh, companies that they're being regulated Mm. heavily enough. Um, if you have a look at what you, what people can do with the the data and, and how you can contact people with the data, that was really, I mean. GDPR was probably the first and that was in May this year mm, and that was yeah. European. Um, so I haven't seen strong enough legislation in in, in, the, in the States to be able to say, I mean, I think Google and will take over the world someday. So, mm, you know, that's why. We'll uh, yeah. well, you know, it's no, <laughs> done. And then, then we'll have our, our Alibaba do the same. Mm. Um, but for the meantime, without the regulation, everyone's using the con- competitive... That data, the the data companies Mm. first and service companies second.
1: Mm. Yeah, definitely interesting area as well. I mean, this is. I mean, today we sat down and went through this in terms of that sort of big data collection. One one of the um, the interviews that I did here on Age Tech Podcast was um, again we got into the blockchain space. I'm not a blockchain guy, but when you kind of explain all of that in the context of blockchain, now I start to understand it that. You know now we're moving into an era where we're creating all these massive data sets mm. you know it, connected to individuals but you know the whole internet as we know it isn't set up to do that so you've got all these guys going on about blockchain opening up a new space i know this is your area so i'm not going to kind of open the rabbit
0: hole <laughs> now but no but it's interesting and, and and again even in blockchain there's there's considerations around gdpr right mm-hmm. so w- w- once you're writing this stuff onto the blockchain it's there forever so how do you remove it? And, but at the same time, there are opportunities to allow individuals to manage their, their sort of data and, and who get access to it and how they get access and, and at what cost, right? Mm. So I think um, it, it could evolve uh, sort of naturally um, if, if the technology can actually, you know, come to fruition, but i mean at the moment it's just not the regulation here it's yeah. not the but focus do, on I the mean,
1: regulation. i guess what the point i wanted to kind of find out is are we in a different position here in asia with all of that in terms of like access to data blockchain regulation and so on that gives them an advantage over where they are in the west or you know they I, i'm just curious i mean because what you guys see you know because some people come here and they don't understand just kind of what's going on what are your thoughts
0: is there an advantage for, for Asian companies? Yeah. I, I think definitely, definitely. Uh, th- th- there isn't the focus. We don't have those Facebook company, th- type companies yet. I mean, we have Alibaba coming um, who are sort of responsible for collecting the data. Mm. So any organization is going to take full advantage of the data they have in order to get them the maximum advantage until somebody tells them that's not cool. So, I think, I mean, it's just uh, uh, (laughs) make hay while the sun is shining. Exactly, get away with it.
2: There's plenty of companies here that we've seen um, that have, you know, asked for, you know, do it first, ask for permission later. Um, Yeah. Or or what is it? No, sorry, I kind of.
1: Seek permission rather than forgiveness. Yeah, or the other way that's around. That's no, the other right. way around. Yeah, Seek <laughs> yeah. forgiveness rather than permission. Yeah. All right, okay, we're moving on then. We're going to talk about large brands now because we have here, if we can flick up the, the next story, we're going to look at the Profit 2018 Brand Relevance Index. And um, there's a particular focus here on Chinese brands. So... Um, do you know much about the brand relevance index? Do you come across this one? Because there's a lot of different brand index published on a, on a regular basis. Um, it's the one at the bottom. Yeah, the second one there. Sorry, the LinkedIn story, if we can just pop that one up. Um, there's a lot of these kind of brand index published about brand ranking and brand equity and brand power and all these kind of things. And yep. they tend to be quite sort of biased as well by the countries they come out of, right? Do you follow this one much at all, Priyanka?
2: Um, I do. Uh, I'm not as, as familiar with this specific one. Um, but there was th- this, this specific article had some f- quite interesting, yeah. um, uh, findings throughout it, but they all measure differently. So this one, you know, there, there are the ones that actually measure the brand value on the basis of you know, how much you could sell it off on your P Yeah. Um, this one is, is more of a relationship. Like an, it, it, it felt to me like it was a, an, an index based on what people, thought about brands right? engagement engagement and and, yeah yeah so so rather than it be about how much is a brand valued so that's the difference i see in terms of valuation so is that
1: top 50 there we can flip back up to the top That top 50 highlighted there this is the top 50 that they've come up with right based on this graphic here with alipay or alibaba at the top
2: this is in china right so Mm -hmm. these
1: are with chinese brands i mean if you have a look i mean if you're not Watching this one on the video, just let's scroll through quickly who are in the top 10 there. We have Alipay, we have, I guess that's Android, isn't it? Not rather than Google, that's WeChat, Huawei, Microsoft, Taobao, which is, which is Alibaba again, isn't it? And then Intel, this one I can't read, Meituan that's the retailer, isn't it? Um, what's that one? <laughs> I can't um, 10 Q, yeah, 10 cents, sorry, yeah, exactly. I was gonna say QQ, silly me, and then Tmall right? So there we go. Um Interestingly, not many Western brands in there. I wonder how that's changed over time. What are you thoughts? I was thoughts just about
0: of- to say though. I wonder that that's the latest one. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see that even a couple of years ago, yeah. because I bet there were a lot more uh, Western brands um, a couple of years ago. Because we've seen a lot of pressure on on uh, non-Chinese uh, brands, uh, sort of trying to compete now. Obviously, we've got the trade wars about to kick in. So that's, you know, mm. you're going to get more challenging, and um, I think that the, the the Chinese you know company they, they they're catching up and and I think the Chinese consumer now are, are actually looking at their own uh, homegrown products and mm. and that again that quality issue is becoming sort of less and less um, and and they're able to compete so mm. I think it's only going to come more and more.
2: Yeah, no. Um, if you'd asked me. Even two years ago, uh, I was working for an Australian bank. So we did a lot of, you know, we, we had a lot of conversations around what Australian products and how do they Mm. go into, into China. Um, and, and it was very much, um, all the consumer insights were saying that, you know, having that quality issue specifically from a, in anything in the health sectors or in the, in the, you know, the, the, um the food and bev- yeah, food and dairy, beverage in, yeah. uh, sectors um all wanted to become coming from outside your brands were your outside and there was also that um uh, that that luxury um mm. uh, factor of if you were having a brand from outside of china you were seen to be more luxurious and therefore that's what the consumer behavior was going for yeah. so this is really lovely to see that you know this is this is now a trend that's coming back to focusing on the chinese brands mm. doing better for their own people
1: do we have any, um, I'm curious, I mean, I can't sort of like pick it out from this list here, but any sort of, not lifestyle brands, but you know, I suppose, yeah, like lifestyle brands, beyond the obviously tech brands that are Chinese. Because I remember like, you know, if you go back a few years when sort of China was emerging, there's a lot of stories about Western brands going into China, the obvious ones. And then there were some sort of anomalies like Kappa who did the old um, that, the old football jackets, yeah. but they kind of got into China and reinvented themselves. I think they were bought by a Chinese entrepreneur who reinvented this sort of Italian brand, and it became a big thing. But there was no sort of like Chinese brands, and there was only really... I mean, the nearest they had was like Li Ning, that did the shoes, you know, the basketball player. And they had these sort of like Nike kind of knockoffs, right? But there was no Chinese lifestyle brand are we there are there any on this list i mean uh, we've got all the the tech brands but can we flick that back up again i'm just wondering if there's any there yeah any of that producing like clothing or food or anything like that i mean adidas obviously but they're not chinese are they so no i mean they're all sort of like luxury luxury where there would be the the french lmvh and all those kind of things but then there's the um yeah, I mean, I don't see anything there.
2: No, you're yeah, right. Actually, um, I don't. I don't think. It, I think. I think OPPO. it is. Yeah.
1: There you go. Handsets, but that's about it, isn't it? I'm just wondering how long we're going to be with that. Because if you, if you look at the, the progression of sort of Asian economies, if you take for example Japan, which has sort of gone through that curve from being uh, an economy which has kind of completely absorbed all western brands that were thrown at it you know it was like crazy about fendi and gucci and all those sort of like lifestyle brands and then it started producing its own and they didn't sort of i mean they had the sort of luxury brands it tried to compete internationally with but they weren't sort of at like that level you know it had like the issey and people like that but it, then it had sort of the more cool street brands that you know I'm trying to think of the the names, but like, you know, there would be like the jeans brands like Evisu, for example, which compete internationally, but they're really micro. They still haven't sort of got to that stage apart from on the tech side.
0: Yeah. No, I I mean, I was going to say, I I think it's going to come, right? Because, you know, Chinese citizens today, they're they're, they're spreading Mm. further and further and and they're having more opportunity to travel and to, um, you know, to to, to come back and the, the size of the sheer size of the market there. Mm. Um, you know, something like a, a $5 trillion retail market in, in 2016 in China, which is incredible. And, and and the forecast is, I think, around 60% of global sort of e-commerce is, mm. is going to be China-based in by 2020. So uh, it, I think it's just a natural progression. Technology, they're there. So if you look at Huawei, for example, the, some of the features on the new phone are just, you know, incredible. Mm. Uh, so No
1: longer cheap. They're not,
0: they're, they're not but when you look at you know some of the features with the, the triple camera on the new phone it's um it's mm. yeah. high spec
2: so so we did some um uh, you know just some general research on all on a couple of the brand um indexes uh, earlier um, and Brand finance this year said that 15 out of the top 50 brands in the world were Chinese and that's by value. Now, obviously Mm. that's also based on the fact that, um, in China, you've just got a larger population. Mm. Um, but the interesting piece that we found was that these were the the fastest movers were these ecosystem brands. So Mm. what we talked about Gojek basically taking over someone's life and, and in penetrating in multiple um, areas of, of, of someone's life. Um, they're the brands that are growing the fastest. So mm. um, in terms of whether whether or not we'll see lifestyle brands, whether or, or not they can get a part of the ecosystem, that's a probably a another question as well. Yeah. When, how, do, how, do the, how do the brands fit into these ecosystem brands?
1: Mm. What do you think of this? Um, just as an example, I think it's a good case study, Luckin Coffee. What do you think about this one? I mean, I don't know if you've actually had like in coffee in in china but it's being touted as like the the potential starbucks beater i mean it may beat starbucks in china because it may have an advantage obviously with the you know knowledge of the local market but just in terms of that ability to beat starbucks because i think that starbucks like amazon is probably one of the best brands globally i mean if you look at instagram it's the number one shared hashtag which is commercial right you know, and none of those adverts are driven by Starbucks. It's all people taking photos of their their coffee. So it has a very, very strong connection. It has a very strong brand story. And, you know, a lot of emotional engagement. Can something like Luckin beat Starbucks? I mean, that's an interesting case study because it's not necessarily, I mean, it could be about technology. They could beat Starbucks by having a better access to, you know, like user data, the big data about user experience, payments, and so on. But ultimately, that human touch—you know—could they beat Starbucks at like that? Could a Chinese company do it? What are your thoughts?
0: So, so, so what I see is that—I um, mean—in China is one thing. So, I see you know, marketing in general. and Prank, you know better than me, but it, it's a different way of engaging in, in China. Completely different. Uh, you know, di, di, different uh, mindset. Um, And and, and you need a different approach. Uh, But but what's interesting is that I find that a lot of the Chinese companies really struggle um, actually marketing themselves outside of China. So it it kind of there's a a, a, it works both ways, because I mean, I I get approached by a lot of the manufacturers uh, for some of the technologies. Um, and and I mean some of the marketing and, and the literature and the, the their approach and if you you know meet with them and the way they present and the information they give you during a it, it's, it's, it's just uh, terrible It is it's I mean, it and as it is, I know. It is, 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 is I, I'm think, but I'm thinking this is a real issue yeah. here because y, you, you know this is not your, this is not how you might and they've got you know some really interesting products but their approach is just, is just yeah. wrong So you know a, a, a product like this, in China, maybe they can be successful and probably they don't need to market themselves outside of China. But it's going to be interesting if they do make that step. Because mm. you don't see that many of these sort of brands making a step outside of China. And if they do, they're not successful because their marketing isn't...
2: Yeah, but um, uh, I, 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 I I 100% agree with you. Uh, I've, I've, seen, I've seen it. But I also... Um, I like the Asian century that we're in and I mm. like the shift that it's making. So, um, the reason why Starbucks is so popular is because it's an American brand and it's, and it's, and it's, uh, it's meant to be about, um, that luxury of having an American brand. So, mm. but now we've got, you know, crazy rich Asians and we've mm. got, we've got this change where it's okay to to to, to to have luxury Asian products and um and I would like to see that I, I think it's now you know it will it will shift towards that um, but the challenge will be in the meantime you know maybe they'll get two billion dollars to get to, to well, of investment to, yeah. to to be able to get out there but I definitely think it's possible
1: yeah I think one of the challenges is we're facing is the storytelling aspect isn't it is that in China it makes sense. However, when you take that brand globally, whether it's a luxury brand or a coffee brand or a tech brand, a great example is Huawei. You know, what is the origin of Huawei? Like most people can't even say it properly. Mm. And most people don't know where it comes from. Is it Korean or it's Japanese? Uh, now we're kind of waking up to the fact it's Chinese, especially if you're outside of Asia, you're getting used to it. It's not in US on the retail market, right? So the challenge is, is that, you know, what do these brands mean? I mean We all know Apple and Steve Jobs, right? We all know that story. And that's a powerful part of the brand story, isn't it? I mean, how important that is for Mm -hmm. telling that story and what Apple's all about and so on, that person and his story. And to an extent nokia was extremely successful because it had that story about you know those guys in finland you know they started off making rubber boots and then they were, had a factory like cutting wood and it was with that finished toughness and you had the mm. nokia 3 series which you could throw out of a building and it could drop 10 stories and you know make a hole in the floor and it still be all right right so that story existed whereas huawei we don't know and they're not very good at telling that story and i think this is the challenge isn't it like all those sort of western brands especially american brands are really good at storytelling like starbucks like howard Schultz, you know he went to um italy on a holiday with his wife and he saw them like you know tamping coffee and making coffee and you know it was like love and it was art and he thought wow this is really going to work in america and he brought that story back with him whereas you know those sort of asian brands where they're sort of catching up is they're learning it's not just about great marketing it's about great storytelling and that's where they're sort of not used to it, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, we've got Jack Ma out there, right? But there's nobody else out there on that platform telling a story about brands. So I yeah. think that's kind of what needs to happen next, isn't it?
2: Yeah. Uh, th- there's a, there's a, um, a lovely company called Makeblock that I've just um, done a project with, and they've got a great story. Their their education for with robotics education, and they're they're all mm. around the world, and their story's great. And they're telling it in a really you know sort of uh, from a, from the heart perspective. They're talking about education, and they're talking about why it's important to have. Their founders as a, a young entrepreneur, and I think those those will be the next generation of great stories that we see come through from from China to to to, to, to th- i mean they they're there in europe they're mm. they're all, all around the world so i think yeah, yeah hopefully yeah. we we'll see more
0: of that yeah yeah i mean a, a lot of the time it, 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 there's too much focus on the like the technology mm. uh, as you say whereas the likes of apple and microsoft you know they realized a long time ago that that it, it's not about the technology, right? You, you got to position yourself in terms of that whole user experience and the lifestyle and, and what you can do and what the brand values are, and 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 I don't think that a lot of the companies coming out of China have got their head around that. Um, and and the other thing that's really difficult though is is the you know, the language barrier is so severe mm. that that I don't know how Huawei are. Uh, actually positioning themselves in China right you, you know to, to that market and and for sure that they're, they're, they're doing a good job but but it's, it's difficult to to make these judgments because yeah, yeah
2: we're gonna it's... we're gonna need a Chinese person speaking person yeah there you go come, come yeah, in here work
1: to do yeah all right fascinating we did a round trip of Asia tonight we talked about just in review Jack Ma and his retirement is he isn't he fake news but the reality there Thanks for that, Priyanka. And when we went to Jakarta to have a look at Gojek. Daniel, obviously, some insight there as well. Thanks for sharing that story. And then we ended up talking about the Profit Brand Relevance Index, um, looking into the, the lives and consumer behavior, brand engagement of Chinese consumers. We'll put all the details in the show notes. Thank you so much to my guests this evening, Daniel Hanley and Priyanka Nadkani. Thank you so much for joining Thank you. And yeah, thanks for sharing your opinions. We we'll put your details in the show notes as well, so as I said if anybody has anything they want to follow up on, they know where to go. Excellent. This is Asia Manners. Thank you so much. This is a wrap.
0: You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show.